Welcome to Uncommons. I'm your host, Nathaniel Erskine-Smith. On this episode, I'm joined by Adam Vancouverden, one of the most interesting newcomers to this parliament. He's a four-time Olympic medal winner as a paddler, including a gold medal in 2004. He's been Canada's flag bearer in both opening and closing Olympic ceremonies, and in this past election, he defeated well-known incumbent Lisa Raitt. We sit down and talk about how he made the jump from paddling to parliament, and we highlight the important work of Conquer COVID-19. You can check out their work and support them at conquercovid19.ca. Adam, thanks for joining us. My pleasure, man. Nice to be here. Well, I appreciate you taking the time. Now, you are not the first Lou Marsh Award winner to become a parliamentarian, I discovered. That oh, really? Chantelle uh, Petitclair was yeah. won it after oh, okay. you, but yeah. she was appointed to the Senate previously. But you are still in very select company. And okay. You, you know more, I think, than most about the state of athlete funding in our country and amateur sport funding in our country. And you hear stories, but how well do we support our amateur athletes in Canada? Uh, it's a good question. It's a good question. So, I mean, we do a pretty good job in Canada, to be honest. You know, a lot of people want to uh, say that it's atrocious or it's disgraceful or whatever. It's not. Like, we do a decent job in Canada. Doesn't mean we can't do a better job, though. Um, there's aspects of the athlete assistance program and the tuition support program and the support support uh, program that are really good. And then there's some pieces from other countries that I would choose to emulate. Um, but I'll say at the outset, I didn't get involved in politics because I think, you know, Olympic athletes need better support. Uh, I, I do believe that we could do a better job, but I also think that the Canadian Olympic Committee has a role to play there. Uh, and, you know, people don't realize this. Most people don't realize this, but the Canadian Olympic Committee is not government funded. The Canadian Olympic Committee raises their own money. They're like a, you know, basically they have more in common with MLSE and the Toronto Raptors uh, than uh you know than a, than a national sport organization like um like tennis canada or something like that which is government funded so um i would give us like a b i guess if i was assigning letter grades i'd be like b b plus but uh you know i wasn't always an a student but i tried hard to be uh to, to get a's and i think we should too although i read your wikipedia and i, I learned you also you know you're not just a four-time medal winner at the olympics but you're also valedictorian so don't you know don't sell yourself short on yeah but you went to like oxford did you go to oxford you're a lawyer don't, I don't, I don't, don't like let, let's not start like measuring our, our, our academic chops okay let's talk about sports yeah so <laughs> was it was it was there support in your life that led you to sports was it was it your parents was it who drove you to become a paddler well, my mom literally, literally drove me to the canoe club because I was kind of a bad kid. Uh, I grew up in uh, in community housing, single mom, single parent situation. My dad was on the scene too, but uh, he didn't live with us. Uh, we went to his house on weekends kind of thing, typical uh, divorce situation. Um, and it wasn't a bad neighborhood when I say it's community housing. Like, so, you know, we rented a townhouse from a cooperative. It wasn't, uh, it wasn't, um, you know, really, really rough or anything like that. But you know, my mom didn't have the money to put me in hockey or anything like that. And I wasn't, uh, I wasn't a very gifted athlete. She just needed something for me to do after school. Um, and, you know, she just knew that I was getting into a little bit of trouble after school because, because I was getting into a little bit of trouble after school. I was just willing to, you know, like a lot of kids do at the age of 12, 13, like just experiment and kind of get into trouble for the sake of something to, uh, to do. And I like testing boundaries and I like to see what I could get away with. And, uh, she saw, an opportunity to bring me down to the canoe club because one, well, one, it was very affordable, you know, basically cost like three to $4 a day, which is, uh, that, that daycare, 
you know, that $5 daycare that a lot of people talk about. Well, it's available at the Canoe Club um, for older kids. But I mean, 12, 13, you're too old for babysitter and you're kind of too young to be taking care of yourself, right? So um, it was a good place for me to go. And she sent me down there just basically to stay out of trouble. And after a couple of years, um, I wanted to go down just because I wanted to make the national team. And I remember coming home from practice one day and telling my mom that uh, national team card is what you call it. And an athlete gets carded, uh, comes with free tuition. And she literally looked at me and she was like, well, then how do we make it so that you make the national team before you graduate? And at the time I was paddling like five, six times a week. And I said, I think I'll have to start paddling 10 times a week, which means at least three mornings a week before school. Uh, so she said, okay, here's the deal. You learn how to make coffee and you show up at my door with hot coffee. Uh, I will drive you to the canoe club and I will drive you to school after. And she realized that for that hour in the morning, my brother was old enough to get himself to the bus stop, a bowl of cereal in his stomach. Um, for that hour, it was a good investment for her because, you know, our kid was going to get free tuition. And I don't think my mom really had a plan for $6,000 <laughs> a year for tuition otherwise. So it became sort of like a family investment. And, um, you know, it sounded a lot better than flipping burgers or mowing lawns. Uh, so I pursued my dream and my mom, uh, you know, supported me and sort of my dad I wanted to leave my dad out of the equation at all my dad bought me my first kayak uh, in 1997 I went to the Canada Games and we had a deal if I won a medal at Canada Games then I got my first kayak wow and I uh, yeah so it's a long story I, I mean I, I often do like a 30 minute keynote about this so don't, don't get me started. <laughs> well you just kept winning medals too I mean you uh, I was I was running through world championships the four medals in the Olympics including You've got all the all the colors. You got gold, silver, and bronze. And you do you is there one moment in particular? Obviously, it's got to be winning the gold. But are, are there other moments that stand out in the course of your paddling career? Yeah, yeah, for sure. So 2004 was a big breakthrough year for me. 2003 was as well because I went from not making the final to coming in second in the final. And as a youngster, like I was 21, and kayaking is not a young man's sport. It's not a like a kid sport like gymnastics and sometimes swimming. You can be quite young and win medals, like your uh, constituent Penny Alexiak. And as you've told me, my your favorite, favorite Lou Marsh Award winner. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Present company included, um, and Penny. Penny's one of my favorite athletes too. And my joke after the uh, the Rio Olympics, where we both competed, her first and my last Olympics, was uh, you know a lot of athletes win four medals at the Olympics, but uh, most of them take longer than a week to do it. And, <laughs> and Penny won Penny won four before she even had a driver's license, so that's pretty cool. Um, it took me it took me longer than that. Um, but uh, I started in 2003, sort of breaking through into the scene a little bit, qualified for the Olympics. And yeah, the 2004 Olympics were definitely a highlight because I won a gold medal. But I tried to win a gold medal four other times or five other times as well. And, uh, and I came pretty close a couple of times. I got a couple of silvers behind some of my best friends. Um, and then in, in Rio, I didn't make the final, which was strange because that was the first time in my career that I didn't make the final at the Olympic Games. But I pulled my socks up and got back on the water the next day and won the B final and had a really fast time, actually the second fastest time of the competition. Um, and I knew that I was in good enough shape to, to you know, race with those guys and to beat most of them. Uh, but I didn't have my race when it counted. And uh, that's, that was sort of the name of the game in my mid-30s when I was towards the end of my career is that I could still have great races. They just didn't come every single time I asked. It was like, you know, when you're in an old car, when you push the gas pedal, sometimes the engine just kind of does what it wants. Um, so it was just less consistent. And I realized that I had already accomplished all of my goals. I, I won all the medals that I wanted to win. And I was world champion in both of the distances that I cared about racing. And, uh, you know, I had a world record and it was, it was still there and I wasn't going to beat it. So I decided uh, I'm going to do something else. The consistency is incredible though, because I played baseball throughout 
the, you know, most of my life early on, you started paddling, I think later than I started baseball, but you were a much greater paddler than I was a baseball player. But, you know, I played into university at Queens and I struggled with consistency even in my twenties. So that you were able to go, you know, as a teenager winning juniors and participating in the juniors at a very high level all the way into your thirties where you could have won a medal in, in Rio with the, with the time that you had. Yeah. I, I mean, I won a medal. Uh, I, I won medals at the world cups that year and I was, I was still like top 10 in the world. And I think really, I mean, in our sport, if you're top 10 in the world, you can win a medal that day. Just you have to go and have a good race. And it also means that other people just can't have the race of their careers, right? Like sometimes winning doesn't mean you're uh, sometimes it doesn't mean you're the best. Well, it always means you're the best, but it doesn't mean that you did something special. Sometimes it means that a, somebody who is supposed to win or going to win didn't. And anyway, whatever. Um, Rio, I crossed the finish line really satisfied with my career and had a really nice like retrospective. Got off the water and hugged a lot of my friends and realized like, yeah, I'm going to call it, guys. Like this has been good. I've had a I've had a really good career. Four Olympics is enough. Um, I don't like the idea of beating a dead horse. And it's clear that it's other people's turn. To, to achieve their dreams. You obviously had a relentless schedule in terms of training for many, many years. And how, how did you direct that energy to something new after you got off the water and said, this is my last time? Yeah, so I didn't really. From, from like 2016 until 2018, um, I did a lot of traveling. I did a lot of reading. I, uh, I took some French lessons, which as we're both aware, didn't go that well. I, <laughs> I didn't learn that much. I just did a lot of like self-exploration and I got a couple of jobs. I worked as a broadcaster at the Olympics in uh, Pyeongchang, South Korea. You know, I rode my bike to, to New York City for Camp Uch. I, I ran a bunch of races. I went to the Arctic twice or three times. I just did Things ah, that I like times in the Arctic, no big deal. Yeah. Well, just bucket list items, right? And like taking advantage of some of the great, like like Canada 150. There was just so many things going on that summer, so I took it. I took full advantage and and try to create some opportunities as well, right? Like I renovated a house and uh, I got a dog, and you know, just I started broadening my horizons a little bit, expanding my portfolio of works. Because honestly, like you said, I was consistent as an athlete, but it's because I was spending 24 hours a week in my boat and like nine to 10 months a year in my boat. And that means that four or five months a year, I was not in Canada and I was traveling a, a lot. And even in the summer, like I wasn't in Canada in the summer either. I was traveling more than six or seven months of the year. So I started when I did a little bit of traveling, I mostly traveled in Canada between 2016 and 2019. I did a little bit of international travel, but I went to some places that I had never been before. And I met a lot of people that I had never met. And one of those trips uh, brought me to Northern Labrador in uh in the, the province of my my seatmate Yvonne Jones who I sit next to um and I I actually visited a few communities with Yvonne because we were on the same boat and when you're in northern Labrador you're either flying or taking a boat between the communities because they're mostly coastal and there's no roads that connect them so we uh we went into one community and I, I met a guy named Ross Flowers and Ross uh is an is an amazing uh guy southern Inuit uh with a with a long heritage and he decided he wanted to reconnect with his heritage a little bit and his ancestry. So he built a kayak um, and they would say kayak out of just what they would have had available to them thousands of years ago, hundreds of years ago. Kayaks were invented like 2000 years before Jesus walked the earth. So, I mean, we're talking, this is a, it's an old thing. They're like, you know, closer to the pyramids than they are to the Volkswagen. Like the kayaks are old and he decided to build one out of, you know, wood and skin from seals and, 
you know, he shot 12 seals himself and he learned how to skin them and took all the fat off the inside with the ulu and did everything the way his great, 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 great grandfather would have. And he asked me if I wanted to paddle it. So I took his boat that he built out of, you know, caribou. He, I sat on a caribou skin and uh, I paddled around in this thing. And I, for the first time ever, I, I experienced kayaking with all of my senses, you know, like I could feel the caribou scratching my butt and I could, I could smell the skin getting wet. Like I could literally smell like an animal in the boat and it was, it was beautiful. Um, and then I tasted the Labrador sea as it dripped down my face. I remember tasting the salt and being like, I'm in a new place. This is a different spot, you know, and I watched this boat m move through the water uh, in a, in a different sort of circuitous path than my boat uh, typically, um, typically did. And, you know, I just had all of my senses aware of the kayak that I was paddling in for the first time ever. And I was so far away from home and I was paddling in a boat that somebody built, just like the inventors of the thing did. So all that to say, I left kayaking and I came back to kayaking through different uh, ways. But then, you know, after all of that, what I realized is I love Canada. Canada is one of those countries. It's a very, very special place that exists uh, despite all sorts of challenges and difficulties. Um, I've heard many times that Canada is a country that works in practice, but not in theory. And uh, I also know that Canada is an intentional place. And it is Canada because of intentional uh, motivations and people that contributed to building a country. I think uh, democracy is all about building a country a little bit day by day. And when I thought about who I wanted to be, what I wanted to do, and what I wanted to achieve, it was to continue to build our country in the best way possible. And that led you to move out of a career in paddling and into a career in politics. And did, you know, Justin give you a call and say, you're our guy, we, we need to make sure that we turn Milton red? Or how, how does one, you know, I, I had a story where I sort of scratched my way into beaches East York as someone who grew up in the area. Everyone's got a slightly different story. How, how did you end up as the liberal nominee in, in Milton? Yeah, we all have a different story, right? And no, the Prime Minister didn't give me a call and ask uh, me to run. I've known the, the Prime Minister, I've known Justin for, for some time, but it wasn't a situation of me calling and saying like, hey, how can I help? It was more of a, uh, you know, I was living downtown at the time and there wasn't an open liberal place here, but my home riding, which has changed, the name has changed a couple of times as the, the riding has changed. Um, Oakville, North Burlington didn't exist when I lived in Oakville and I grew up there. I lived at the Chautauqua Co-op for uh, about 20 years and uh, that riding was always in the riding of Halton. Um, so when I started voting in the year 2000, I was 18, um, I voted in the riding of Halton and I voted there throughout university because like most kids, I didn't vote in Hamilton. When I went to McMaster, I came home to vote and uh, the riding of Halton was always my home riding. And then in 20, I think it was 2015, it changed and uh, and I voted downtown. Um, but uh, I've always thought of, you know, North Oakville as being my home. Now, the riding boundary of Oakville, North Burlington kind of swallowed up where my mom lives. So Pam DeMoff is my mom's MP. But the riding of Milton uh, was always in the same riding as Halton until recently. So I decided to run there because it was conservative and we had an opportunity. I'm not a conservative. I'm a progressive first. Uh, the Liberal Party is the one where I'm the sort of best fit. And I think we have that in common. You know, I think I've, there's some good ideas on the left and there's some good ideas on the right and the liberal party is in the middle and that's sort of where I can like rationally put most of my energy. Yeah, we and, uh, politics is impossible to say I'm part of this party and I agree with this party all of the time. It's just not, oh. we're too, the tents yeah. are too big. Yeah, there's only really like three or four choices 
Uh, so, I mean, if you can put all of your eggs in one basket, then more power to you. That's cool. Um, but I don't think most of our colleagues, you know, it's good to have a bit of a disagreement in a party. If you're always agreeing with each other, uh, then I think there's a problem. So disagreeing is good. And I think, you know, to, to quote Dalton McGinty, if you can disagree without being disagreeable, then, um, then you could be a good politician. So anyway, uh, I started knocking on doors. I, it was, I went out there uh, during the municipal elections. So I went and um, knocked on doors with a few of the candidates to get a, a feel for the community a little bit. You know, I, I bought a house there, I moved, I joined a running group and, you know, started drinking beer at Orange Snail Brewery and just <laughs> hung out a lot, and, you know, mountain biked in uh, Conservation Halton like I did when I was a kid. And uh, yeah, took my dog for walks in the Rattlesnake Point and just sort of joined the, the community to, uh, see if I couldn't be the MP. And then it took about a year, knocked on doors, and here I am. And uh, significant win, all things considered, and, and sometimes a difficult, difficult election, I should say. And getting to Ottawa, is there one thing, or are there a few things that you are determined to accomplish? Uh, that's a good question. I think we all come to this with like really good intentions and without really knowing the game, right? It's like wanting to score points uh, without really knowing like where the basket is. So yes, there's certainly some things that I want to contribute to. I think Canada can and should be a healthier country. And I think that physical activity is one way to achieve that. And I would like to promote physical activity, make it more accessible for people, you know, find ways to ensure that Canadians don't have any barriers between physical activity, particularly kids and vulnerable populations. You know, I don't think that's all about high performance sport funding. I'm not advocating for, you know, doubling the high performance sport budget and Sport Canada's budget as it pertains to winning medals at the Olympics. I don't think that's necessarily the way to build a, a healthier country. But I think if you if you think at the bottom of the pyramid, and I'm not saying there's a hierarchy, but there's a hell of a lot more kids that uh, play soccer at the level that I was at when, you know, I was six or seven years old than there are Christine Sinclair's, who's kind of at the the tippity top of the pyramid and making that the base of the pyramid as broad and accepting and you know uh, accessible as possible is is my goal and um, that's a that's a long plan that's a long long game I think you know if I could be an MP for a decade or something like that then I might be able to achieve it and right now I'm, my goal is just to be a good MP for the people of Milton uh, to respond to messages and particularly in these times help them you know, navigate this pandemic and uh, keep their small businesses running and make sure they can pay their rent and, and you know, just to support my community. Because uh, it's, it's a dual, as you're well aware, and what I'm learning is that it's, it's more than just a dual obligation, uh, but you have obligations for your constituents and you have obligations for your own ambitions and you have obligations to your party. And, uh, you know, different people organize those ambitions and, and priorities in different ways, but uh, I'm just that's exactly right i mean in some cases you will take the feedback from a small business owner say or from students which i know you were very vocal with our colleagues to ensure that we were delivering for students and that we're providing filling gaps and support for small businesses and in our communities and then the other piece is if you look at your advocacy on sport for youth, for example, and accessibility of sport and sort of a right to play kind of advocacy, then it becomes certainly there are going to be people in your community who care about that too, but then it also becomes a leadership and educational exercise to make people care such that you can get funding buy-in from the government, but also just 
get communities, yours and mine and others, bought into this idea. And so we, we do play that, you know, we're voices on behalf of our communities, but we're also voices back into our communities, not to parrot talking points, but on matters of substance, I think. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And there's so many, you know, um, and you never really know what's going to arise because, you know, a good example is you had a great private members bill that I was excited to to endorse and support. And uh, there was other things that I was excited to do sort of this summer as we lead into the break. And those have all been put on hold for now. You know, we're just going to have to wait it out. And uh, and everything has shifted. I almost think that if there was time to go and rewrite all of the, the mandate letters, that would be a good exercise, I think. Um, but of course, you know, everybody's just scrambling right now, try to trying to respond to all the messages that we get and build programs overnight that usually take six months or a year or two years to build. So, um, but the mandate will change and has to change. And now it's about protecting uh, what's important to us and ensuring that the economy is going to be strong and resilient after all this is over and uh, make sure that kids can get back to school in a safe way. And wow, man, there's just so many different priorities. So things change quickly. So I'm almost glad that I came in here with an open mind and thinking like, I'm just going to be a good MP for at least the first couple of years. I'm going to learn the game and basically, you know, it's like, like your first day of running. If you think you're going to win the Boston marathon, then you're probably kidding yourself. I'm going to just try and do a 5k community 5ks for the first year. <laughs> Is there any surprise that stands out in the first few months? Obviously your, your initial parliamentary career has been upended a little bit by this pandemic where there is no normal at the moment. And so even easing yourself into that parliamentary schedule, you were months into your career before this, this happened, but has there, was, was there any surprise that you thought, Oh, I didn't know it was going to work this way. Yeah. The first surprise I think was like on week number one, where I realized how entrepreneurial this is like nobody you know, comes down to your riding and sets up your office for you and, you know, hires your staff. It's like, you know, okay, now you're an MP. So here's the book that you have to read and all of the things that you need to do. And you have to interview a bunch of people and hire them to be, you know, your eyes and ears when you're not in the community. So gratefully, I had a really good long campaign. I ran a year long campaign and we knocked on like a quarter of a million doors. So I didn't do that by myself. And those people committed a year because they believed in and me and they believed in the liberal platform and they believed in flipping Milton red. And when we achieved that as a group, uh, some of them expressed an interest in continuing to be a member of the team. And uh, some of them went on to bigger and better things. One of them was working in communications with PMO and doing a great job. And, you know, but everybody more or less got, uh, you know, got to work in politics because our team won. So I was a little bit surprised that I wasn't disappointed that there wasn't more support, but I was surprised that there wasn't more support like on the ground. You know, I went and found a lease. I found a new office. I negotiated the lease because I was like, well, now I'm negotiating for like taxpayers paying my rent. Like I don't want to overpay for the rent. So exactly. I got a good deal. You know, you're welcome. Yeah. So anyway. <laughs> well, it is it, it is very much a small business kind of mentality that one has to take. Yeah. And even in Ottawa, there is no real job description outside of our committee work and outside of some of the, you know, obligatory house duty that, that we're on. And otherwise it is, how, how can I be most effective and how am I going to spend my time? And it's really then ultimately up to us. Mm-hmm. I've got a few random facts that I discovered about you, including that you have a street named after you. I can't I imagine many yeah. members of parliament have a street named after them. I bet you there's a lot. There's a Trudeau Drive in in Milton, although it's probably not named after Justin. I guess yeah, no, I will have down the road. Yeah. Many yeah. Parliamentarians <laughs> will have, very, very sitting parliamentarians will have yeah. a street named after them. Well, but Mark Garneau has a school. <laughs> true, true. Okay, fair point. Yeah. Fair, yeah. yeah, well, you haven't been to space. I mean, okay, you, you got no. some Olympic. I'm a space cadet, but yeah, not. <laughs> 
not uh yeah it's the street that the canoe club in oakville it's situated on it's also called water street so if you google adam vancouverton street it doesn't come up because it's not on the maps like the signs say water street and then it's like an honorary title for adam vancouverton street and honestly the mayor of oakville uh, after like my third Olympics said, do you want a new street in like suburbia in like no- North Oakville or do you want me to do an honorary thing downtown? And I was like, oh, hell yeah. Like an honorary one downtown is way better. Um, Diana Matheson, her parent street is named after. She's a soccer player, Olympic uh, bronze medalist twice, I think. Um, so her parent street is renamed Diana Matheson Boulevard, I think. So anyway, <laughs> they do a good job in in, uh, in Oakville because Oakvillians keep winning Olympic medals, man. We got Donovan Bailey, Larry Kane, Diana Matheson. Yeah, we just work. We have a really cool thing in the East End where they they do uh, laneway. Um, they oh re- yeah. They re- oh re- yeah. Laneways, and so there is more of an opportunity to have people recognize. So we have this mayor of the beach, Gene Demagala, and he's re- very few people are living when they get the laneway, but he was one of the people who was living while he got the laneway named after him. And it's quite it's, it becomes a very local thing where they get petitions. And in your case, it was obvious you from your community they wanted to recognize your contributions in some significant way. And I was going to ask too but you kind of got to it about the canoe club that for many athletes, they point to a particular place that in your case, your mom was taking you to, and that's had a significant impact in our community. We've got the Balmy beach club that has made an important impact on many paddlers lives. We have a mutual friend, uh, Kevin McIntyre or, you know, Jesus Mac. Yeah. Kev Mac, you know, we called him Jesus in high school, but uh, I don't know if that name continued on into his paddling career, but oh yeah, yeah, I've got a picture of him where he's dressed as Jesus. He milked it. <laughs> he looks like Jesus. Like he looks like the, he looks like the modern, you know, emblem of what we think Jesus looked like, which is probably not similar to how, if Jesus Christ walked <laughs> the earth two thousand years ago, it was probably different. But anyway, but uh, but it was you had that. It was the Burlow Canoe Club, and that's where the street is named, and that was the center of your activities in in your life for many years. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, I went down there 10, sometimes 12 times a week, uh, you know, before school and high school. And then when I was going to McMaster, I was driving back and forth a lot to get on the water. I also ran cross country at max so that I wouldn't have to get on the water like, you know, twice a day. I could run in the morning and paddle at night or whatever. And um, that was my home base for our, for my training. And, uh, and Oakville is definitely my hometown. There's no, there's no, uh, there's no doubt. I was born in Toronto and I've, you know, I've lived in Toronto as much as, as anywhere else, but um but uh, Milton's where I work and it's where I'm focused, where I put all my energy, you know, where, I, who I represent. Um, but Oakville is definitely where I grew up and the Burlow canoe club, man, like that, that place is just like my little, that's like my Mecca. I don't go very often anymore, but I go down there because uh, it feels right. That Creek is the most productive two and a half kilometer stretch of muddy water in Canada. Uh, lots of athletes, you know, train down there and then go and represent the country. And uh, it's, it's a great spot for so many kids and, there's a lot of sports clubs, amateur sports clubs across the country that are really suffering right now because nobody's signing up. The Canoe Club would have had their registration last month and, you know, nobody signed up probably. I don't know what the revenues are like, but I hope they're able to access some of the government programs that we've put out because, you know, when we think about small businesses, sometimes there's a lot of gray areas. There's a lot of like kind of non-for-profits, pseudo businesses, social enterprises, operations that just operate to stay afloat and employ a couple people and serve the community. I really hope we don't lose those. They're so important. And you are the parliamentary secretary to the Minister of Heritage with a specific focus on sport. And just given your life's network, do you find in the course of this pandemic that you are 
obviously advocating on behalf of small business and your constituents, but also taking those concerns from sport into the minister's office? Yeah, of course. Every That's a, a big part of my day. Every day I call, uh, make a few calls to a, a sport organization, whether it's a national sport organization like Baseball Canada, Canoe Kai Canada, Rowing Canada, or a multi-sport organization. So that could be like Special Olympics or Canada Games Council or the Canadian Olympic Committee or Canadian Paralympic Committee. I have two or three of those calls um, every day. And then often towards the end of the week, we do a group call with sometimes as many as 120 members on the phone. So uh, we've been receiving a lot of feedback, perspective and insight from our you know, stakeholders and using that perspective and insight to guide the legislation. Uh, we listened and we were able to announce $500 million for arts, culture and sport. And of course, your uh, MP neighbor, Julie DeBruzen, is my colleague with the Minister of Heritage. So she's the equivalent. She's the Parliamentary Secretary for Heritage for all things not sport effectively. And, um, you know, so so that's arts and culture is, is a big piece of the pie, a bigger piece of the pie. It's more than three quarters of the pie, really. And uh, the sports sector is, is really grateful for the support, received about $72 million out of that 500 uh, for all of the NSOs. So there's about 94 funding partners across Canada from, you know, the Commonwealth Games all the way to, you know, five pin bowling Canada. It's amazing to see just the knock on consequences of the recession and to see our, you know, obviously they don't have the enrollment this summer that they would otherwise have expected. But I, I would not have thought in March, and obviously as we get closer to the summer, it's more obvious, but in March when you're thinking, well, we've got to support our frontline healthcare workers, we've got to make sure we're, we're taking all efforts on testing tracing, we've got to make sure we're supporting our businesses that are having to close, and as we get closer to the summer, we really do see the devastating impact on these very local, nonprofit, volunteer-driven sports organizations, and we have to make sure that they survive as well, and it's, it's a real challenge. Yeah, so about about half of the the money that they're dedicated to that seventy two million is going to the provincial sport organizations, and there better be a trickle down effect to all the local organizations too. So that's the that's the intention. You probably get asked this question a lot, but you have had a number of highlights in a relatively short life so far. So when we're ranking highlights, which I know can be difficult to do, but when we're ranking highlights, I assume that the gold medal comes before winning an election. I've not won a yes. gold medal, so I don't know. That's an easy enough one. It but does, does, yes. does winning of the election come out ahead of the world championships? No, no, not even, no, sorry, not even no? close. There's like <laughs> world championships, like world championships. Think about like the, who you're competing against. Like I'm competing against like Australia, New Zealand and Great Britain and Norway and Sweden, every country in the world. Okay. Like I love my job and I'm not trying to diminish the importance of what we're doing, but I was only competing against like three other people in Milton. <laughs> you know that wanted the same job so no okay, okay. it was a lot of work it was a lot of work and uh you know my co my competition I had stiff competition lisa Wright's a formidable politician uh she has lots of experience you know eleanor hayward she's a great green candidate anyway i could go on and list all the candidates but um i had a good time in the election and, and i feel very honored and privileged in in the sense that what what doesn't happen is people don't choose that you win olympic medal you've got to go out and do it on your own right like it's not a it's not democratic Whereas people put their trust in me. People gave me their confidence and they said, hey, we talked very briefly at my door. He came back. He dropped off some literature. I like what it said. I'm going to give you a shot. And I really, really appreciate that. So I don't want to diminish the value or importance or significance. Oh, still top five. Right? We're still talking top five. Top five things in my life? Yeah, yeah, sure. Top five. Because I got four. <laughs> election, world championship, Lou Marsh, and maybe election after that. I don't know. I don't have to rank things. Like my girlfriend's like that. Every time I'm like, hey, do you like chocolate ice cream? She's like, well, not as much as I like vanilla ice cream. 
I'm like, well, do you like pretzels? She's like, no, not as much as I like popcorn. It's like, why does everything have to be a competition? <laughs> My last question uh, is you are wearing a Conquer COVID-19 hat. ConquerCOVID19.ca is the website. How, how have you become involved in this organization and, and raising awareness for this organization? Well, I saw that my friend and former teammate, Haley Wickenheiser, was sporting a very boring t-shirt that looked a lot like this boring hat. And then she got her friend and uh, fellow superhero, uh, Ryan Reynolds of Green Lantern and Deadpool fame to, uh, to also sport his. Uh, so it's kind of blown up. They raised a bunch of money for PPE. Now look, the government's doing a good job buying personal protective equipment for frontline workers. Uh, but the thing is there's a lot of like minimum orders that people have to make like a hospital has no problem they can make a minimum order they're going to go through 10,000 masks but if somebody has like a small business doing uh home care uh you know if they're like a sole proprietor or if uh if there's a clinic if they're not considered you know frontline because they're not necessarily directly working with people who have covid you never really know so uh, there's a lot of need out there and conquer covid 19 did an incredible job started by an amazing guy named Suleiman and his wife Khadija and lots of other people, um, primarily Muslims, I would say, given that it's Ramadan right now and just a very generous spirit in, in general, you know, got together and said, how are we going to serve our communities? How are we going to help and what can we do? Uh, so they put their amazing brains together and uh, there's two um, storage units in uh, really close to your riding, XYZ storage in uh, XYZ storage. I sound like an American. <laughs> um, in uh, in the beach, and so I've dropped down there a couple times to pick up PPE and do some drops, you know, all over the place in Hamilton and Mississauga and Halton. Um, so great organization, awesome. You can go to Conquer COVID nineteen. You can buy a T-shirt. You can make a donation. Um, I think that the it's a little it's changing a little bit because the needs changing a little bit. I think they're supporting other initiatives now, um, but something that it's one of those things is just so easy to support. And a testament, obviously, we've seen strong support from the government and largely from the federal government, I would say, when it comes to financial assistance for businesses, for individuals who have lost employment income. But we've also seen a lot of citizens step up and volunteers step up and conquer COVID is a perfect example of, of people coming together outside of their regular jobs and making something happen on, on a large scale for for our communities and, any, and, and to make sure that we're all healthy and safe. So- yeah. I just bought two t-shirts, one for me, one for Amy. And so I, uh, you know, I encourage other people to, to do the same. Adam, thank you for joining me. And I look forward to seeing, in many ways, your hustle. Because, you know, seeing everything you've accomplished in a relatively short period of time in your career and the determination that is required to win those medals and to be successful as a paddler. I will never say rower again, I promise. Uh, but as a paddler... I, if you take that same level of determination to politics, it'll be interesting to see all that you accomplish. So I appreciate you joining me. Well, cheers, man. It's an honor and a privilege to be your colleague. And uh, thanks for, uh, for lunch a couple of weeks ago. I don't know <laughs> who's supposed to get next, if it's me or you, but uh, I look forward to next time because, um, you know, I got involved in, in politics for many, many reasons, but not the least of which is because I was inspired by people like you who stand up for what you believe in, uh, make sure that our people's voices are heard and, uh, and serve the community. So I'm inspired as well. And, um, you know, everything that we accomplish together as a, as a government is going to be a team effort. Agreed. Thanks, Adam. I appreciate it. Cheers, man. Nice chatting. Thanks for joining us on another episode of Uncommons. Remember to subscribe at uncommons.ca for future episodes. Or if you have suggestions for future guests or topics, let me know on social media at BEY Nate. And again, I encourage everyone to check out and support 
conquercovid19.ca.